Hey, come here. I got some good for you. Come on. We all feel better. We all feel better in the dark. In conclusion, if you find yourself falling asleep, having a dream child in the middle of a nightmare, while you're trying to wake up when you're being chased by a guy with razors on his fingers, and you don't know it's a new nightmare, and then you got Jason, he's got an axe, got Kelly Rowland, she's not saying nightmare baby, nightmare baby, nightmare baby. Nightmare, baby. Hy. Once upon a time on a Super Bowl night, two guys from BK brought the points of life. Gave you some previews and some laughs. Was it no big thing? No one thought it would last. Then one started growling at the mention of a chick. The other guy would lose it every time he got pissed. Next thing you know, they got a good fan base. So they said, what the hell? Let's continue the pace. No stone uncovered. They will take on a topic. Might bring on a guest. And together they rock it. Cause they're in like Flint. Two mice is a cool. If you don't know the beautiful one, they'll take you to school. I'm talking about Tom, DJ, and Derek Ferguson. The best podcast out, hands down, it's set. So in the tub, in the car, if you're chilling in the park. Welcome to another show of Better in the Dark. You can eat the grass. Of course you can. Everything in this room is needed. Even I need it. But that is called cannibalism, my dear children, and is in fact found upon in new society. What are you drinking, Bella? Formaldehyde. Straight up around the rocks. Uganda, the Marwal. Uganda, Yes, sir, Uganda. I know a doctor that might be able to help you. I'd like to meet him. And until we get back in touch with you... Go watch that movie! Right, Davin? Go watch that weird movie! <laughs> oye, oye, oye! Be it known to all within the sound of our voices that Director's Court is now in session. Presiding over this court is the Honorable Thomas D.J. and the Honorable Derek Ferguson. Standing before us today for a summary judgment... Tim Burton. Okay, who replaced my gavel with a candy cane here? <laughs> and who replaced my wig with a top hat? Burton! And Bert Tim Burton! <laughs> That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Just in time for Dark Shadows, we're opening up the court again and putting somebody in here that I know a lot of you fans would argue deserved to be here a long time ago. Yeah, but before we get into that, this is Thomas DJ. And this is Derek Ferguson. And once again, we are here with what has proven to be a very popular ongoing series within a series of Better in the Dark, our director's court. That's right. Wherein that we take a director and we put him in our imaginary docket and mm -hmm. we examine his body of work All right. for good or for ill and we render our verdict for whatever that's worth. Exactly. As I think we've mentioned, this is somebody I know a number of our fans have suggested we do because he's, how shall we say, has had a problematic relationship. I think that next to Brian De Palma, this is probably the most requested director that we I don't and, know. Well, well, I could be 
well, but not counting the people that ask for Brett Ratner and Michael Bay. Or Alfred Hitchcock. I mean, people... Or, or George Lucas or George comes Lucas, up a lot. George Lucas, yeah, gets a lot where of... We're not going to do The impression yet. to me is that they want us to just go off. As we, once again, reiterate, when Derek and I came up with the concept of Director's Court, the idea was to take one director and examine all the issues surrounding him, both positive and negative. Right. It was not an excuse, and remember, right after the first one aired, the first one which was about Quentin Tarantino, right. people started asking about, oh, you need to do Joel Schumacher, you need to do Brett Ratner, you need to go off on these people and kick their asses. That's not what it's about. I don't get paid for that. No. Matter of fact, we don't, uh, get, paid we don't get paid at all. But, but it's not I, like we haven't tried. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and actually, Joel Schumacher, if we did do a director's call with Joel Schumacher, I think people would be very surprised, at my ruling at least, because I yeah. would say not guilty, mm-hmm. because I'm not going to base the man's entire, entire 40-year career on two movies. Much as most people would like to, the man has made an extraordinary amount of very good exactly. movies. I can phone booth. Tigerland, which was the movie that kickstarted yeah, Colin uh, Farrell's career. He's made an extraordinary amount of good movies, and I'm not going to cut off his balls. Eight millimeter. I'm not a fan of falling down, but a lot of people are. Yeah, I love falling down. This is not a place for us to yell at people. And George Lucas, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, I'm a big Star Wars fan. I love Star Wars, but I don't believe that there's anything new that can be brought to the table yeah. in regards to George Lucas. It'd be a waste of time because you don't like Star Wars. You see, that's why I think people bring him up. Uh-huh. is because, even though, if you remember, there was an episode where I actually sat down and talked for a couple of minutes on why I don't care for Star Wars. Right, and that's if your prerogative. You if you don't like it, you don't yeah. like it. And you already took one for the team when you did the Star Trek thing. And to be fair... As we know from that episode, I took away quite a bit of positive energy out of that. Yeah. I think that the idea was they really want us to do a Star Wars episode. They really, really want us to do a Star Wars episode. They know that they're not going to get one if they ask for it. Yeah, to me, there's nothing new that I could say at least about Star Wars and George Lucas that hasn't already been said. I would be much more interested, and we do definitely have to do that one day because Mm -hmm. Tom and I know a promise we're going to do this. We're going to go back and we're going to look at the Indiana Jones series. Now, that's something I'd be more interested Mm -hmm. in doing since I felt that with the passage of time, we can look at that with a more objective eye. And especially now when we have another brand new movie to add yeah. to what we've already done. And so, maybe even a fifth one coming in about even a, a year fifth or two. One. Right. So see, that you can look forward to because I feel we could bring yeah. something new to that. Just but, like going back doing a remake of the George Romero zombie episode where Romero has gone back and added two new films right, right. to his of Europe. Yeah. But as far as Star Wars, now, nah, there's nothing... Knew that we could bring to that. All he's doing is going back and tinkering with well, the old yeah, toys. That's it. If we got a new Star Wars movie every two years, yeah. yes, that'd be a different thing. Then you could say, okay, well, let's take an hour and talk about George Lucas. And that's why you probably won't see Alfred Hitchcock direct this score because, again, there's nothing new we could say about. You Alfred might Hitchcock. see an Alfred Hitchcock Great Great Men episode. However, yeah, there you go. See, you see that an actor or a director whose career is over. That's where the great, great men come Exactly, come yeah. Alfred Hitchcock, well, he's a genius. What more do you yeah. need to say? We know he's a genius. 
that's it. There are some directors that you're just not going to see here. You know me and Tom, we prefer the more esoteric, like Nicholas right. Rogue. Right, which we are going to get to. Which we're going to get to. We, like, you and I have been doing the preliminary discussions about yeah. And one of the things we're going to talk about is not just Nicholas Rogue, but his friend that he did his first film with, Don Camel. Because here are two very similar directors whose lives took very different paths. Right. One positive and one negative. Right. And I wanted to examine them as a set. So see, that's the type of stuff that turns our crank here. Right. You know. And speaking of Ryan De Palma, as we did briefly, yes, we since did. he has been a very popular, as you know, this is going out, even though we're recording this... On Good Friday. On Good Friday. So, to all of you out there, happy Passover and happy Easter. Happy Easter, exactly. I hope everybody had the great holiday of their choice. So, we're not going to know what the outcome of the BITD challenge is at this point. I will say that we've reached a little bit over half of my stated goal. We still need a bit more before the director's court gets triggered. Derek and I have discussed it. If we don't reach that goal, which was 25 contributions of $10 or more, what we're going to do is we're going to, as a thanks for those people who did contribute, we will be still be doing the commentaries, but we will not do the director's court. If we get over our 25, we will do the director's court. Okay. You got that? Okay. You didn't go back and listen to it over again. Right. <laughs> Those people who did contribute will be getting those commentaries. We're going to do at least two of them for free. Yeah. And after two weeks, I will upload them to Michael Sims, and they'll be available in the Earth2.net store for a really minimal price. It's going to be about like a dollar seventy-five or something. You cheap bastards! Time yeah. to look up under the couch and dig right. in the cushion. But the reason I bring that up is we've got a number of pieces of listener mail all tied in with the BITD challenge. Okay, then. So let's do that, and then. You can wait, Burton. You just sit right there. Bad, bad boy. You Sit there and play with <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter. <laughs> okay, the first email is from our good friend and the patriarch of the Better in the Dark First family, Desmond Reddick. And Desmond writes, Fellas, just wanted to say that just now I finished listening to the MTV music video episode and was astounded at how awesome your coverage was. Add to that that it was a spur-of-the-moment kind of thing, and again, I am humbled by your guys' knowledge and ease of speaking. Loved the show, as always. How are the donations stacking up? I just realized that I forgot to put the promo in this week's Dread Media, but that will be rectified next week. I look forward to the Diploma episode and specifically the Phantom commentary, so I hope the donations are rolling in. Yes. Okay. Now, we've already answered that. For all we know, there's going to be a big rush towards the end of April, and we'll have 30, 40, 50... Yeah, contributions. we don't know how it's going to go, but, you know, we'll see. But, yeah, definitely The Phantom. Yeah. Uh, considering yeah. that you like, that's one of the few. That's, the that's my favorite of the De Palma that films. You like, yeah, I think it's safe to say that will be the first commentary that we do. The second one we were going to do, and maybe that'll be it, is your favorite, which is Scarface. Yeah, Scarface. I'm just loading Say up. hello, my little friend. Fush you, man. <laughs> Fush you. Bigger night than a bad guy. You know, some bad guy look like this again. Scarface versus I Machete. Love, I love Scarface. That's what I want. Oh. And I want to be honest here. Yes, I realize that Scarface really doesn't hold up well over time. Mm-hmm. But I guess that my feelings for it go back to the fact that I saw it in the theater originally. Right. During its original theatrical run. And I know that now people look at it and say, well, mm-hmm. what was that? But back then, it was considered extraordinarily extreme in terms of violence and language. Well, we'll, which we'll get into my of, feelings about it when, when we do the commentary. Which is part of the whole thing about it. But, but I will say that I always find it so amusing that so many people revere that character as a 
life model yeah, for all the yeah. wrong reasons. Yeah. When I don't even think that Palma wanted people to look at him as a life model. Well, you got to remember, I think that from the 80s, I'm going to say this and then we're going to move on, folks, right. I promise. I think it's very strange that in the 80s, our two most popular movie heroes was a drug dealer and a child molester killer pedophile, yeah. Freddy Krueger. Yeah. These were our role models back in the 80s, folks, I'm sorry, but that was it. <laughs> 80s was a powerful drug. Yeah. Now, our next piece of listener mail is from the man who inspired the BITD challenge. Who's that? Across the pond, Mr. Ian Wilson. Oh. To the mad scientists of the Better in the Dark Laboratories. Dear Lord, what have I started? Please don't think I'm taking any credit from what one innocuous Facebook question led into. Indeed, when I first saw Mr. DJ advertising the National Suicide Prevention Hotline in response to my post, I thought... Gosh, Tom's overreacting slightly, isn't he? (laughs) But then I caught up with Better in the Dark 125 on a return train journey, and I understood the entire context. For the record, I wasn't trying to resurrect ranty Tom, as I genuinely prefer it when you find fellows critically dissect and discuss films, rather than calling out Russell T. Davies or Jeff Johns time and time again. But the fact you're going above and beyond my request in the name of charity is laudable to the extreme. I am truly excited to hear the upcoming episode, and fingers crossed, any comments commentaries which may come out of the charity drive but more importantly i feel good that i can contribute to a worthy cause particularly as a foreigner i've given a full breakdown of the drive on episode 16 of my shake and blake podcast in the hope that any of my few listeners that have yet to encounter your fine show may be encouraged to come forward and add their two cents slash ten bucks a toast to you both tom and derek you great great men your english pal at least until tom sits down to watch these films ian P.S. If this were to become an annual event and Derek was in Tom's shoes next year, who would be the director? Hand on heart, I'll not formally suggest it. Someone else can take the heat. Hmm. That's a question. Do we want to make this an annual happenstance? And who would you choose? Well, two things. Who would you choose? Mm. And what charity would you choose for the donations? See, that's interesting. See, I'd have to think about that. Okay. I'd have to give that some thought. Well, let's see how this goes. And if this goes, well, yeah, then definitely. We'll make it an annual thing. I don't mind raising money for a worthy Mm. cause. And I always love it when we hear from our British listeners. It gives us some class. (laughs) It does. It makes me feel like this is Masterpiece. I would like it. makes me feel like this is Masterpiece Theater or something. But which one? (laughs) Masterpiece Mystery? Masterpiece Class? Classic, Masterpiece Contemporary, Masterpiece Off the Wall. (laughs) (laughs) Our last bit of email is from Eddie Love, our good friend from Baltimore. Hey, Tom and Derek, glad to help out with this terrific effort. I used to volunteer in this area some time ago, and I know your initiative, as well as Tom's personal testimony, will be a real service to many. Unfortunately, lately I've had to restrict my movie reviewing efforts due to a soul-crushing work grind, and more happily, the raising of my eight-month-old twins. Nothing onerous about that. But I'll occasionally get ever so slight a pang reflecting that I could be laying on y'all my review of The Master Gunfighter with Tom Laughlin and Ron O'Neill. Woohoo! Huh. Oh well. I hope when, if, things return to normal to focus on my new blog devoted to espionage film slash fiction and TV. Old and new, but mainly Cold War stuff. All this is done mainly in the hopes of one day scoring advanced proofs and screeners. I can dream. We're still dreaming of that ourselves. We're still, yeah, we're still dreaming about that, believe me. We ought to have him on as a guest. Yeah. Well, he writes very, he writes he writes very, very well reviewed. Yeah. 
Maybe I should ask the Internet Fairy if she can locate the other two Harry Palmer films for us, the ones that are out of print, and maybe we can do Rivals of Bond with him. Because I yeah, know that he loves yeah. Harry Palmer. Yeah, Harry Palmer. As a matter of fact, the other night I was looking for... Because they've got Captain Kronos on yes, the Yes, streaming. Yes, wow, Chris Johnson mentioned that. I said, holy shit, I got to So while I was looking for it, for some reason... I want to see Billion Dollar Brain, right. and they have it. And I said, oh, good. Well, I can watch that. For some reason, that's the one at the end with the train, yeah. and they're on the ice and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for some reason, I don't remember much about the Impress file. Or, well, because or, that's the one that Ken Russell directed. And because it's Ken Russell... Yeah, I guess... Yeah. It's a bit wacky. Yeah, and I also want to get... I haven't seen this in years. It was a movie made for HBO called Blue Ice. Right. And Michael Caine has himself said that even though the character has a different name, he considers that to right. be another Harry Palmer. Plus, there's the two other movies that he did as cable movies that mm-hmm. are Harry Palmer films as well that he right. did in the 80s that are also out of print. Counting Blue Ice, there are six in total six that, in we'd total, be, yeah. that we'd be talking about. Let's try to get that done. Okay. Because that way we can get Eddie on, and it, I'm sure that it will be a fun time. Okay. Keep up the great work, both on your show and now in the community. Your guys are the best. P.S. Since I've stopped bugging you with my reviews, can I at least bore you with one picture of my boy and girl? See attached. Now, it didn't come up on, but... He resent it, and I will try to download it, and we will look at it. Actually, no, rather than save as, let me open it. Let's see. There they are. Oh, look at them. Oh, they are adorable. you got to put that up on the what you're <laughs> we'll put it up on the... you got to put that okay. up on the Facebook. After I get Eddie's permission. First. Yeah, get his permission first, and if he says it's okay, because them cats is adorable. See? This is our next generation. Hey, get them while they're young. <laughs> We're raising a child army. Thank you for the picture. Yeah, well, between them and Des Reddick's kids, yeah. yeah. So that's it. The BIT army of the future. <laughs> Conquering the world. Bypass the parents. Go right to the kids. Anyway, now it's time to talk about our defendant for today. Tim Burton, filmmaker extraordinaire. And in case you're wondering, the reason why it took so long, we had to get Expedition from England, where he's now hiding out. <laughs> Him and Helena Bonham Carter, they're not married, but they... It's, they're living in sin? They're living in sin with their kids. And, Good for them. Okay. As always, we start with... A little... I, it, I always find it funny how the older he gets, the more he starts looking like Tim Curry. Yeah. A little bit of a biographical note. This is taken, of course, from Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt. Burton was born in 1958 in the city of Burbank, California, to Gene Burton, the owner of a cat-themed gift shop, and Bill Burton, a former minor league baseball player, who would later work for Burbank Parks and Recreation. Burton made short films in his preteen in his backyard using stop-motion animation techniques, just like I did when I was a kid, not using stop motion over in the backyard, but mm-hmm. yeah, I used to do that too with my natural father's Super 8 camera. Oh, okay. He was big shock, a introverted person, <laughs> and found his joy in reading Edgar Allan Poe and watching Hammer films, and he was particularly, of course, enamored of a person that is a great, great man in both of our eyes, Mr. Mm-hmm. Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. He graduated from Cal Arts in Santa Clarita, California, 1979. He success of his short film Stalk of the Celery Monster attracted the attention of Walt Disney Animation Studios who offered Burn an animator's apprenticeship at their studio. He worked as a storyboard artist and concept artist on films such as The Fox and the Hound, The Black Cauldron, and Tron. However, he wanted to work solo. In 1982, he made his first short, Vincent, a six-minute black-and-white stop-motion film based on a poem written by him, depicting a young boy who fantasized that he is his hero, Vincent Price. And Price provided the narration. This led 
to a Japanese-themed adaptation of Hansel and Gretel for the Ooh. Disney Channel, which climaxes in a kung fu fight between Hansel and Gretel and the witch. All right. This is probably the rarest thing in his entire OVR. It was only shown one night, mm. Halloween night, at 10.30 in 1983. It's extremely difficult to locate, but the Museum of Modern Art has a print, which is proof, because there's a rumor that it was made up. That yeah, that it didn't even exist. Next was, of course, Frankenweenie ah. in 1984, which uh, he is redoing... As a full-length movie. As a full-length picture. I thought it was a Henry Selnick stop-motion film, though. You got me. All I know is that I did see the poster for mm-hmm. it. I didn't see a trailer when I went to see The Hunger right. Games, but I was outside, and I was showing my wife the thing, because she didn't believe that the movie... We were yeah. looking for one for Abraham Lincoln, Vampire yeah. Hunter. She thought I was... <laughs> making it up. Yeah. I said, no, there it is. And next to it was the one for Frank and Weenie. Yeah. Now, his first feature film was, of course, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which apparently Paul Rubens handpicked him for after seeing Frank and Weenie. That's the story, yeah. He said, yeah. Okay, this is it. It was made on a budget of $8 million and grossed more than $40 million at the box office. People said, hey, this guy might make us some money. And even today, that's a movie you mentioned, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. And what does everybody start doing? The other thing that's significant about Pee-wee's Big Adventure, of course, is that Burton, who was a fan of a band that I really loved, mm-hmm. Oingo Boingo, yeah, Oingo Boingo, asked Danny Elfman if he would like to do the score, mm-hmm. which is a friendship that pretty much lasted to this day, with the exception of the following films. Elfman has done the score for these films that Burton has either produced or directed, except for Cabin Boy, Ed Wood, James and the Giant Peach, Batman Forever, and Sweeney Todd. I think the only director composer that has worked together more is probably Steven Spielberg and John yeah. Williams. I would also say David Cronenberg and Howard Shore. Based on the success of Pee-wee's Big Adventure and his helming of episodes for the revitalized Alfred Hitchcock Presents and Shelley Duvall's Fairytale Theater, Burner received his next big project, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Uh, which is the movie where I discovered him. I didn't see Pee-wee's Big Adventure, even though I'm a big fan of Pee-wee right. Herman. I used to get up mm-hmm. on Saturday mornings to watch the show. I didn't discover Burton until Beetlejuice. Right. I saw Beetlejuice and I said, this guy is going to be around for the mm-hmm. next 50, 60 years if he can keep this up. One of the very few original screenplays that he did. And a movie that looked completely yeah. unlike any other movie I had seen up to that We're going to get to some things about this film because I saw it last night in preparation oh, okay. for this. That was a successful film. Based on that, he got what is perhaps his most successful film, still is, Batman. Batman, yeah. 1989. We've talked about Batman many times. Yeah, in this thing, and we talked about Batman. Let me back up one second and organize my thoughts. In the pantheon of superhero movies, I think that there are three movies that are absolute game changers and paved the way for every other superhero movie that we've got now: Superman the movie, Mm -hmm. Batman, and the first Blade. Because a lot of people, we wouldn't have the Avengers coming out now and all these other mm-hmm. Marvel movies if it hadn't been for Blade. Right. So those three movies were like the game changers for mm-hmm. different reasons. Batman is because, one, it was the serious Batman that comic book mm-hmm. fans knew about, but the general public didn't. Their impression of Batman was still Adam West. Right. This was the first time a lot of people had been exposed to a serious Batman. Mm-hmm. 
the casting of Michael Keaton, which was so extraordinarily controversial back then. Y'all guys who weren't even around there wouldn't believe how controversial it was. But yeah. Tim Burton stuck by his guns and said, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember all the horror about oh. what is this guy doing? He, all he's done is Pee Wee Herman movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, the horror, the horror. Oh, and he's casting Michael Keaton. Oh, no. As a matter of fact, you probably remember this, Tom, because you remember mm -hmm. the same crap that I do. Yeah. You remember that in some theaters... They actually released 30 seconds of trip, but it had no credits. Yeah. No, it just had some scenes from the movie, but right. it didn't have coming soon or yeah. it didn't have the usual stuff that a trailer does have. The studio had to put it out mm -hmm. to quiet the firestorm because right. this is pre-internet days. God only knows what yeah. would have happened if the internet had been around exactly. back then. As it turns out, when the movie came out and all of those naysayers had to eat plenty crow, mm -hmm. and even today a lot of people, myself included, still consider Keaton the best of the movie back Right. To me, I'm sorry, Michael Keaton, Christopher Bale, yes, he's all right. Val Kilmer, he was all right. Right. Even George Clooney was all right. right. But to me, when you say Batman, I think Michael Keaton. And, and let's also not forget that this was the film that inspired Warner Brothers to enter into a deal with Fox Television to create Batman the Animated Series. Right, yeah. Thus, Tim Burton is in some way responsible for the entire DCAU. See, this is why I say that this movie was such a game changer in such a lot of ways. Yes, okay, other studios started sitting up and said, maybe we can make some money yeah. with these superhero movies if we get top talent, directors, yeah. writers, actors... Because I think that until the Lethal Weapon script came along, Sam Hamm's screenplay for Batman was the highest that he got paid the most yeah. for it of any other screenplay. It was such an influential movie in so many ways, even though it does have its flaws. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As all movies do. But we were willing to overlook mm -hmm. it because the good parts were so good. Right. Now, of course, this made Warner Brothers so much money they didn't know what to do with. <laughs> and Burton said, well, I made you a lot of money. Can I do this really personal project I want to do called Edward Scissorhands? And Warner Brothers said, no. So he took it to Touchstone, right? which was, of course, the adult version of Disney mm -hmm. and made it with Winona Ryder and... Another person that he is apparently cannot do without, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. The first of a long line of films that he collaborated with Johnny Depp on. And Warner Brothers promptly kicked themselves in yeah. the ass when this turned out to be amazing. With Academy Award nominations. Mm -hmm. But their whole thing was, no, 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 we want you to do another Batman right now. Yeah. He said, no, I want to do this first. And as it turns out, Edward Scissorhands, if you thought Batman made a lot of money, mm -hmm. Yeah. Edward Scissorhands made even more if such a thing as possible. Right. Because yeah. it was a beautiful movie. This is one of the very few films that he generated himself. Yeah. One of the things that I think is very significant about Burton's career is almost everything, with a couple of key exceptions, mm -hmm. are adaptations. This is one of them. Beetlejuice is not. And the film that he does after Batman Returns, even though he ended up only producing it because Warner Brothers put so much pressure on him. Mm hmm to get that Batman sequel out that yeah. he had to pass on, and he passed it on to Henry Selznick, which is The Nightmare Before, the Christmas, Nightmare Before Christmas, which is right. another one that he wrote. He wanted to direct. He wanted to direct it. Yeah, well, even to this day, most people mm -hmm. think that Tim Burton did direct it because his fingerprints are all over the movie. So, Batman Returns. Yeah, which also made mm -hmm. an extraordinarily amount of money, even though by this time the Bat craze had died down. Yeah, I will still say that it is my favorite of the Burton cycle of Batman. Okay, don't get me wrong. I love Batman, but I love Batman Returns. <laughs> Something that people forget about that he produced Cabin Boy, the first in a series of 
Let me, uh, one Chris Elliott films. Do we got to talk about Chris Elliott? I like Chris Elliott. Why am I not surprised? That was the stupidest show. For some reason, remember the show we yes. had on Fox? Get night? a life, it was Get called. A life. For some reason, though, I watched that damn thing every week. <laughs> Even though it was Eleanor Donnie who played his mother. Yes. His father, Bob Elliott, Bob played, Elliott his father. played his father. They had Brian Doyle Murray, Brian Doyle Murray in the yeah. second season. Robin Riker was like yeah. the next door neighbor. Yeah, it was just, I don't know. I like Chris Elliott. Is it on DVD? Oh, uh, yes, it is. It is it okay. Uh, Shout Factory, I don't know, it might have been out of print by now, but I know the Shout okay. Factory put out a complete set sometime in the aughts. After that came what I think you said is your favorite film of his, Ed Wood. That tied with Sleepy Hollow. Okay. And I got to admit, which we'll get into that when, mm-hmm. when we get up to it, I'll go to another one that is fighting for that hallowed spot. One but that it, I introduced you to. Absolutely. Okay. Well, if I, if I, I wanted to make sure it was, that was what I uh, thought it was. But yeah, but Ed Wood... Which is also not, even though it's obviously it's based on somebody's life, Uh it's not based on a book on Ed Wood or anything. And actually, what I like about the movie is that Tim Burton, because for those of you who don't know, and if you don't know, then why are you listening to us? Ed Wood was the science fiction director from the 50s Mm -hmm. who has got the dubious honor of being known as the worst filmmaker of all Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Now, it would have been very easy to make a movie that made fun of this character and ridiculous. Burton didn't. Burton showed a man who really deeply cared about right. what he was doing and mm-hmm. thought he was, was out there. Well, it, it's a film that lives on a premise that I've said a number of times. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to go out and make the worst effing movie ever made. Right, right. It wasn't the man's fault he had no talent to make yeah. a movie. <laughs> he did have a talent to make a movie. Mm-hmm. Bad movie. But he was just so in love with the whole movie thing. And I really liked how the movie went into the friendship he had with Bella Lugosi. Right. These two wildly different guys from two mm-hmm. different eras, but they really forged a really special I mean, friendship. it's weird because on one level it's a very mercenary relationship. Yeah. Because, of course, it would, let's be honest, and I don't think that Burton glosses over this fact. No, he doesn't. That yeah. Wood is using Lugosi. He's using his name. To get his films into distribution. And it's sad to see this pathetic man because at this time of his mm-hmm. life, Lugosi didn't have any money. So he was taking any kind of shit work that came his yeah. way. He was hooked on drugs. His health wasn't the best. And Edward was making him work these long hours right. till 3 or 4 o'clock mm-hmm. in the morning. So yeah, that's what I like about it. Burton doesn't gloss over it. But over time, you can see where Edward kind of feels like it's responsibility to take right. care of this man. Oh my God, he's got no money. He's living like a bum. Um, and Lugosi starts to feel some feelings for this young man who, for better or for worse, is letting him do what who he sadly loves. sadly also is yeah. like the only person that kind of recognizes him as he sees himself, yeah. as this star. As this great. Yeah, because he still thinks it's his great actor. Yeah. And I love how he got this thing where he says, nobody gives two fucks for Bella anymore. Yeah. He said, why do you want me to do this? Because he asked him, why do you want me to do this movie? Nobody cares about me right. anymore. And he said, Mr. Lugosi, you're still a great star. Right. And it's got a terrific supporting cast. Bill Murray is in it. Jeffrey, Jeff- Jeff- yeah. Jeffrey Jones. Jeffrey Sarah Jones. Jeffrey Parker. Martin Landau. Martin Landau. Is- who won the Academy? And his daughter, Juliet Landau. Juliet, yeah. I remember when I was watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. I had a loose group of people. I, this is back when the internet was first becoming the internet. Okay. There was a loose collection of friends and I throughout the country who were big Buffy fans. And at one point, I put it out and said, "Should I be worried that I found Drusilla kind of hot?" No, yeah, <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, I, 
What, do you think I was watching Buffy for the vampires? No, 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 no. That was secondary. My favorite character on that show in terms of just hotness mm-hmm. was Jenny Callender. Okay. The teacher that Giles had a, a relationship with right, in the first two seasons. Right, right. That was hot. Roby Lamort was... I like Carissa... Charisma Carpenter? Charisma Carpenter, yeah. She was my... See, that surprises me because I know that you like a more fuller-figured girl. Yeah, but... And she's like a stick insect. Yeah, but if you look at her when she got to be on... uh, Angel? Angel. You see she puts on a few more. She looks a little bit... But I always liked her sass and her attitude. And she was the down-to-earth person Mm -hmm. in the midst of all this craziness. Yeah, Charisma Carpenter for me. And well, everybody had the hot for Elisha. Oh, well, not me. I, I never, I never liked. You know, her. Yeah, you never liked her. Yeah, never liked her. But Mark Lando won the Academy yeah. Award for best what actor? I think a yes. supporting actor for that movie. Ed Wood to me is a very special movie, and that's the movie that I would give anybody. If they say, okay, well, where should I start at? With Tim Burton, I said, okay, we'll start with the one where he made his mark, of course. Right. Pee-wee's big. If you're into Pee-wee. A lot of people aren't into Pee-wee, though. Mm-hmm. I think it would probably is more accessible to a yeah. lot of people. Especially if they're in the movies and they want to know yeah. more about the character of Ed Wood. From what I understand, that was pretty accurate, mm-hmm. the way he did that. And it was in black and white, which was a rarity yeah. then. They, the studio didn't want him to do it in black and white. They fought him tooth and nail, and he fought back just as hard. Yeah. He said, no, this has got to be in black and white. And there's a Vincent D'Onofrio in this one. There's Orson Welles, too. It's D'Onofrio doing the visual, yeah. but it's Maurice LaMarche doing... The voice. The voice. Right. So after that, he produced a couple of things. Batman Forever, which he was given an executive producer credit as a, thank you for your services, they'll no longer be needed. Yeah. <laughs> package <laughs> when they decide to go younger with the franchise. Right. He did get deep into the production of that film to the point where there was casting. Yeah. He did write a script and there was casting. He had cast originally Rene Russo as Chase Meridian and... That was actually pictures, mm-hmm. but they were taken down very quickly, but I have seen them, folks, because Marlon Wayans was actually cast as Robin, and yeah. there were some costume. There was some tests done with him in yeah. the Robin costume. You know, the and- other person that was cast was Robin Williams was That's the Riddler was talk so it right. be the, the Riddler which he had lobbied ever since the first Batman came out yeah. he, he had said he wanted to do the Riddler it's weird because I'm looking at this Wikipedia article and they're saying that according to Janet Scott Batchelor one of the, the writers of Batman Forever oh he had no involvement short of just approving Schumacher and the Batches as the creative team mm-hmm. but if you look at that film the whole subplot involving Bruce trying to coalesce himself with the Batman persona yeah. Is very Burton. Yeah, that's very It's yeah. extremely yeah. Burton. Yeah. Because Tim Burton, and see, that's one thing that I like about him, is that he is always concerned with the psychology mm-hmm. of the characters that are in his movies. And right. he is always attracted to these deeply flawed, deeply disturbed people mm-hmm. that are trying to make their way in society the best way he can. Right. Ed Wood is a perfect example of that because Ed Wood gathers all of these dysfunctional right. people around him and he turns them into a family. A dysfunctional one, but as the old saying goes, every dysfunctional family is dysfunctional in its own right. way. And with what they're doing, with the purpose that he gives them, they're actually happy. Which, to me, is a very uplifting message in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, these people may be freaks and weirdos, but don't freaks and weirdos deserve to be yeah. happy and have a family, too? That's what he gives them. I bet y'all people didn't know I could think that deeply, did you? <laughs> you look at that scene where they're having the rap party. Yeah. And it's the scene where Charity Parker has had enough. Yeah. <laughs> and says, 
fuck off, you're all freak. Yeah, yeah, What's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah. Where he's doing the belly dance. Yeah. <laughs> but it's all about the thing that Andrew Vox once told me. That you have two families in your life. The family you're born into and the family you choose. The family you choose, right. That's what Ed did, was he found his own family. He chose yeah. his own family, family that loved him for what he was. And the fact that they were all kind of weirdos and oddballs. And they knew they were making shit movies. Yeah. They didn't care because they were doing it together. Isn't that the main and thing? And they had fun. I think that's the other thing yeah. that I mentioned. So he produced Batman Forever. Mm. He produced James and the Giant Peach mm-hmm. with Henry Selleck once again being on board as director for that one. Right. Next comes Mars Attacks. And the less said about this, the better. I'm just going to... Yeah. What a mess. Um, Mars Attacks is like, this is a movie, and again, this is going to be a theme I'm going to come back up to mm-hmm. many times. Tim Burton is not an action director. Right. And this type of big, big budget thing, he tried to have all of his trademark quirkiness in there, but he tried mm-hmm. to marry it together with this alien invasion story. Yeah. And it just doesn't work. It's Tim a Burton. real mess. Yeah. It's, it's all over the place with all these different themes and stuff. One of the things that always cracks me up is that, okay, you have Jim Brown, Mm-hmm. And Pam Grier, because he's the ex-boxing champion, right. now he's reduced to being the greeter at right. Las Vegas. Don't you find it weird that that's like a serious story in the middle yeah. of all these wacky comp because it's like the family drama here? Mars Attacks is so busy, it almost comes off as if maybe in Burton's mind he was making a spoof of 1970s disaster movies. Yeah, or trying to do a mad, 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 mad mm-hmm. world. But it always strikes me funny that you've got Jack Nicholson as the president, and yeah. you've got... All Sarah Jessica Parker and all these other people doing all these wacky stuff all on the side. And then here you've got this one serious little family drama that's in the middle of all this craziness. Just airlift that movie out and put it in its own separate movie. It's weird. But yeah, Mars Attacks is... No. Well, luckily his film After Mars Attacks was something I think you and I both agree is a magnificent movie, which is Sleeping Hollow. Oh, yeah. Which was, of course, Tim Burton's love letter to Hammer films. Hammer Horror. Well, I've said it every time I say it. It's the best Hammer Horror movie never made by Hammer. And it has the benefit of having Christopher Lee in it. It's one of the two films of his that makes me think that we may be lost down on one of the greatest horror directors who ever walked the earth. You look at this and you look at Sweeney Todd which I recently rewatched, and mm-hmm. Sweeney Todd is a full-on horror movie. Oh, absolutely. And another thing I think we may have missed out on is a great theatrical director. Because the thing that strikes me about Sweeney Todd is that when it has to be, it has a very theatrical feel to it. It's obvious that he understands the limits of the space. The camera almost acts as the proscenium arch. You have a lot of scenes. It feels like a mm-hmm. film play. Yeah. I love this scene where they're doing the thing where Sweeney Todd, and he's up there and they're shaving the guy. He's just taking his time. Yeah, and he oh just yeah. Relaxed. And Sasha Baron Cohen, who is brilliant in this movie, this man should just stop making his own movies and go act in other people's movies. Because when he does, I love him. Yeah. When he's in some crap like Borat or whatever that other Bruno, crap. Bruno. Yeah, whatever. Ollie that. G in the house. I can't stand him. I wish I could take a race mm-hmm. to his throat. But in Sweeney Todd, I love him. The whole staging of that yeah. is very theatrical. It's and, like and a play. The great thing about Sweeney Todd, obviously we're jumping ahead of ourselves, is he makes it work as a musical with people who aren't singers. 
Well, they do the Rex Harrison yeah. thing. I call it the Rex well, Harrison, they, where they have talking okay. through See, the song. The thing that, that fascinates me about Johnny Depp's performance is that you can see that there are, are moments where he's doing that Rex Harrison talk singing, yeah. but it's almost like he gains confidence in that and eventually starts singing full out. Actually singing, yeah. It's just a really clever, well-done film, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Oh, this make this and Sleepy Hollow make a one. If you want a great Tim yeah. Burton, Johnny Depp double feature on Halloween, this is it. Mm-hmm. Sweeney Todd and Sleepy so, from there we get Planet of the Apes. Ooh, again, the less said the better. Mm-hmm. We're just gonna... You know what really... Although it is the first time he works with Helena Bonham Carter. Who will be very important to him later on, as we'll see. Yeah. But you want to know what really pisses me off about this movie? What? The premise of the original Planet of the Apes is that Taylor can talk. He's an intelligent human, which is why the apes start going ape. Yeah. Because they recognize the danger that he presents. It would be like... Because there's that whole conspiracy about the knowledge that they right. from man. It's just like us today, if you had one dog that started yeah. to speak, we would freak out. Hey, how you doing? Now, in the remake, if you don't make Taylor special, if you have all the humans able yeah. to talk and they're intelligent, then the whole movie falls apart. Exactly. You just took away the premise of the movie. It's funny because one of the things I'm going to be taking the task for is relying on certain crutches, stylistically. This is one of the films where he doesn't rely on those crutches, but it's also probably one of his biggest failures. Yeah. But I think it's not this film that prompted the way... I think that his career can be broken down into two discrete forms. Mm-hmm. The 20th century films and the 21st century. No, no, the 20th century films, i.e. the films made in the 80s and the 90s. Oh, okay. And the 21st century films that start with Planet of the Apes. I'm on the page that you know. Okay. This is a movie, again, I'm sorry to keep repeating this, Mm -hmm. but it's the truth. This is what I consider to be his full, okay, I'm going to do an action movie. Okay. And it's a mess because you cannot direct action. He just simply can't. It's hard. Even though he's got a great cat. He's got Tim Roth. Yeah. He's got Michael Clark Duncan. Mark Wahlberg. He's a good actor. I'm going to admit mm-hmm. it. He's held the bottom Carter. And, and, and a Nova who doesn't look like a boo face. Yeah. It's a mess from start to finish. Well, supposedly, there's a debate to this day about whether Planet of the Apes should be considered a Burton film. Or if Burton was just looking at it as he was a director for hire. Oh, yeah. I think so. When I go see a Tim Burton movie, as yeah. I'm sure you do in most people right. do, you have a certain expectation of the things that you want to see. I saw none of that in there. So yeah. I'm wondering if it was one of those things where he said, well, let me do this one because there was another movie he wanted to make. Right. He says, okay, let me make this for you. Of course, and it turns out nobody won because yeah. nobody went to see the damn thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you something. Me and Patricia saw this in Florida. Right. This is the only time I nearly got kicked out of a movie theater because we were sitting there. We were making yeah. fun of the movie so bad that people would tell, shh, shh, shh. But we couldn't help it. That's how yeah. bad it was. And finally, kids said, listen, if y'all don't be caught, we have to put you out. But if Burton was interested in doing another film, the next film was probably the film he was interested in doing. Which was? Big Fish. Oh, okay, yeah. Another film that, like Planet of the Apes does not look like a Tim Burton film, but I would definitely put it as one of his best films. Yeah, I was going to get to... Now, in my mind, Ed Wood and yeah. Sleepy Hollow are fighting for first place. Now, because you had told me about it, and yeah. I had never seen this movie before. I had heard about it, and I said, well, it's a Tim Burton movie, I want to see it. Then we were talking about it one night on the yeah. and it was on HBO, and I said, well, let me watch it. I almost wish I hadn't seen this knowing it was a Tim Burton film, because if I just went to a cold and I didn't know, I would have thought it was directed by it. Steven Spielberg, or Robert Zemeckis, right. or 
Terry Gilliam, somebody on our yeah. Better in the Dark Facebook mentioned Terry. And yeah, I would have sworn it was one of those three. I would not, in the, for the life of me, thought it was a Tim Burton movie. And the funny thing is, unlike Planet of the Apes, there's no doubt it is a Tim Burton movie. It's just a Tim Burton movie unlike... It has many of the same themes of his 20th century right. work. The love of storytelling, the magic in everyday life, the stuff that he has been obsessed with from the very first... This kind of like whimsical approach to the supernatural that he's been obsessed with from his very first picture. Mm -hmm. And yet, because he's taking a more almost magic realist approach to the film, mm -hmm. as opposed to his usual wacky design work, there's some beautiful images in this Because film. the scenes that yeah. are taking place... Mm -hmm. In there are basically two worlds in this film. In the two worlds, the real world the real and world. Edward Bloom world. Now the scenes that are taking place in the real world are filmed in such stark reality yeah. that is totally unlike anything in the. T I mean, it's dead on reality because it's reality. Billy Crudup's world, and Billy right. Crudup has totally abandoned his father's right fantasies and right. story. He's totally so abandoned. everything is stark and very rigid and right. very controlled and very a lot of angles. And very right, angular. that's what I, that's what I'm. Like. A lot of angles. It's yeah. very. Contained and everything is very or, nothing is out of place. Yes. Everything is in place. But when you get to Bloom World, everything is kind of messy. The colors are brighter. It's a little bit disorganized. A lot of curves. A lot of curves. It's, it's yeah. what, and that's another thing. It uses that Burton trope. This is something that, that we get on. Is that there's a Burton trope where there's usually it starts off in the real world and the real world is very gray until the fantasy element is introduced and mm. then the colors start coming. Right. He uses the same trope in Big Fish, but in a much more subtle way, a much yeah. richer way. My favorite image in the whole film is when Ewan McGregor, who plays younger Bloom, yeah. in the Bloom World sequences, sees his future wife for the first time, mm -hmm. and time stops. Still, and he yeah. walks over to her, mm. and he's pushing the popcorn, yeah, the popcorn out of the way yeah, yeah. so he can get a clearer path. From what our good friend James Dye mentioned on the Better in the Dark board, by the way, this is the only film I think I know of where Burton is actually consented to do a commentary. Yeah, well, I can see why, because it's obvious, and from what I read yeah. later on after I saw it, because I think his father had passed away yeah. recently, so this was his way of working through those issues. Yeah, there was a quote that he said this was his attempt to talk to his parents. A lot of issues that was unreal. And you can get that through the movie because the whole relationship between this guy and his father. And then at the end when he finds out, well, maybe his father's stories were true, maybe they weren't. But at the end it really didn't matter. Right. He had a good time while he was yes. alive, which was the main thing. And he made the world brighter for other people. I think that was the other thing. There's that scene in the funeral where Crudup is looking around and noticing all these people who were the inspiration Ration. for the people of right. that. Yeah. And he sees them. I think that's where the realization comes that, my God, this was his way of making people feel better about themselves. Yeah. The giant was there, yeah. and Danny DeVito was there, the, and the, the Siamese twins. The Siamese twins. Yeah, and you don't usually think of Tim Burton as a romantic director. Yeah, but there was a very romantic scene with Albert Finney and Jessica Lange, and he's in the tub, and she climbs in the tub with yeah. him, and they're having a conversation, and then he and it's a very romantic something you don't see in a Tim Burton movie romance. I think it may very well be whether you prefer Ed Wood or you prefer Sleepy Hollow, it may be his most accomplished film. Yeah. And what we were talking earlier on about his use of visual cues to tell you yeah. what world you're in. See, this is what film is for, folks. It's a visual medium. And yeah. he uses the visual medium so that you know which world you're in and you're never confused about mm. which world you're in. Right. Just through that use of angles and then boom, it's more organic. Yeah. The colors are brighter. It's a little bit messier. Even to it's, the point that so much of what goes on in Bloom World happens out of doors or right. so much of what it's happens in, in Billy Crudup's is world is inside. Is inside. Yeah, yeah exactly. When he gets to 
news his father has cancer. He's inside. He's inside. When, boom, he sees the mermaid at last. Yeah. He's in the water, and he's mm-hmm. up, which has such significance for him. His whole life being right. in the water with the catfish mm-hmm. he was trying to catch. It's a beautiful movie. It's wonderful. And it wasn't given that big a release. No. It wasn't given a lot of publicity yeah. either. I remember because I said, oh, a Tim Burton film. Well, I want to see that. And then by the time I got ready to go see it, of course, what happens to me? So it yeah. wasn't in the movie theaters anymore. And I would see it on Netflix. And I said, well, yeah, I got to watch it one of these days. And I never really felt the urge to see it until you, of course, said, Derek, you got to see this. Yeah. And when I saw it, I said, oh, my God, now I know what Tom was talking about. Yeah, and you were absolutely right, 100%. It's a beautiful Wonderful. And I wonder if, because many times in, in Director Corners episodes, we try to pinpoint a moment where the director's heart breaks, if you will, mm. and he ceases to be a creative entity. Oddly enough, the weirdest thing is for Kevin Smith, mm-hmm. that moment wasn't the moment we thought it was, which was the rejection of Jersey Girl. Mm-hmm. But of all things, the rejection of Cop Out. Yeah. That made no sense to me because that's the film that he was working on as a director for hire. We can pin that was the moment Kim Smith went officially crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I think that this is the film because even though it was an adaptation, it was obviously a film and you could feel it. You can feel when a film is really important to a director. Yeah, yeah. And it's obvious that this was a film that was really this important movie was to him. Important. This movie was important and in it, all capital letters. And even important. though it was critically well received, and even though it got some Academy Award nominations, mm-hmm. including a Best Picture nomination. Right. Nobody went to see it, and yeah. I think it broke him. You get this expectation in your mind. Tim Burton fans, they were going to see it because of what? They were going to see it because they want to see yeah. wacky characters, yeah. and they want to see strange things going on. And yeah, you had strange things going on, but it was that magical realism type of thing that mm-hmm. you did. Like, I love the whole thing with the giant. And he says, well, I'll just go talk to him because the fatality yeah. trying to figure out how to get rid of him. Yeah. He goes, talk to me. He says, God, listen, you're eating up all the sheep. Yeah. And the giant says, what am I supposed to do? I'm hungry. He says, well, go to the city where there's more food for you. Yeah. The giant says, well, will you come with me? He says, yeah. yeah. And that's a, you don't expect that in a Tim Burton movie. Mm-hmm. So the Tim Burton fans went to see that and they said, well, what is this shit? And of course, if you didn't like Tim Burton's work before, right. nothing was going to go make you exactly. see big fish. So he was screwed either way. Mm-hmm. And I think he knew it. But he had to get that movie out of his system. And yeah. I'm glad he did. Because yes. it's a beautiful movie. Folks, if anybody did listen and you don't like Tim Burton, please watch this movie. If you don't see any other Tim Burton movie, that's okay. But watch Big Fish. So from here, this is to me where the real demarcation happens <laughs> between... And it's funny because I watched Sweeney Todd, and then mm-hmm. the same day I watched Beetlejuice. And then I watched Charlie. Ah, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. The interesting thing about seeing Beetlejuice and Charlie back-to-back mm-hmm. is that they both have the same quote-unquote whimsicality. They both use the same color palette. Mm-hmm. They both use... The same pacing, but Beetlejuice feels organic and feels like he's having fun. This feels like he's stressed out. It feels by the numbers. Yeah. I don't like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but I don't dislike it either. Yeah. If it comes on, I say, oh, well, let me leave the TV on. But I'm not going to go out of my way to... There's things to take away from it that are joyful. I liked the Danny Elfman songs. Yeah. The way he adopted... Oh, all the musical yeah. numbers are great. The yeah, musical numbers yeah. are great. I love the fact that Elf, because these are all the poems that Roald Dahl wrote in the right. book itself. And I love the fact that he set each of these songs 
in a different musical genre. Yeah, one's like country western. Yeah, song. what's that cat's name? The guy that plays Deep Roy. Deep Roy. Yeah. Who? For those of you, there who is are actual on. footage in the special edition of Deep Roy because he had to go and do positioning for each. Uh, yeah. Of him going and then mm-hmm. taking five seconds. Yeah, that, that, to yeah. Left, taking a step to the left and doing it again, and step to the left and doing it again, mm-hmm. so they can motion capture him. Most of you have seen Deep Roy in many movies, and you don't know who he is. But there's one movie I'm going to mention. Mm-hmm. And then you go say, "Oh, that guy, the Neverending Story." He yeah. was the guy that was riding the snail. But yeah, and he was also Mr. Sin in the Towns of Wayne Chiang. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, I know he's been around for a long yes. time. He's, he's an older ever. gentleman. Okay. If there was any reason that I would recommend Charlie and the Chocolate mm-hmm. Factory to anybody, the musical numbers. Yeah. Because they're grand, they're glorious, they're done in all different musicals. And the other thing is there are certain performances I like. I like Missy Pyle. Oh, yeah, Missy Pyle, yeah. Missy Pyle and Emery Rob is kind of like a, a duo there. I love Missy Pyle in anything. I, and to be honest, I like the Freddie Highmore and his grandfather and the chemistry that they have together in the film. I even go so far as to say it's not as good a adaptation as Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Even though it's, oddly enough, more faithful. It's more faithful to the, yes. For one thing, I didn't need a backstory for Willy yeah. Wonka. And really, it's kind of hard. And, and the other problem is, Depp's performance is so mannered. You get the impression that Burton wanted to be more sinister than Gene Wilder. But it comes out less sinister because it is so mannered. Yeah. And yeah. so weird. Now, see, Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka was Gene, sinister because you didn't know where this cat was coming from. Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka was a serial killer. Because <laughs> you'll notice something. We never, you never hear see the, kid. the, kid, or the kids again. And you never know what happened to him. You say, okay, well, we're going to take him to the room and make him better. But you never see that. And the parents are taken away, too. you ne- you got to watch that guy. He's a scary dude. And am I the only one who, every time I see Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Uh think that it it was too bad that we never got to see Gene Wilder play Doctor Who? That would have been great, yeah. Yeah. His Willy Wonka is, yeah, he's sinister in all kinds of different ways. Because you never know where this cat is coming from. I can almost see him genetically engineering the Oompa Loompas. Yeah. And coming yeah. up with that whole thing. Oh, yeah, they're from Oompa, they're from Oompa they're Land. From Oompa Loompa Land. Oh. I love the part where the, the kid falls into the river and that mother said, do something, do something, do something. And he looks at her and he goes, help. Help. Oh, help. 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 You know? <laughs> <laughs> Wilder is a creepy dude in this I'm convinced he's a serial killer. And he's eating the popcorn when the kid is stuck yeah. in the foot. He said, the suspense is killing, killing me. me. I hope it lasts. <laughs> it makes me wonder if he pulls this stunt every couple of years just so he can get the killing out of his system. Yeah. It's just a magnificent performance. And I'm sorry. Anybody would suffer in comparison. Even yeah. Johnny Depp. But yeah, you're right. I think he tried to out Wilder Gene Depp Wilder. Is, but it's not possible. The problem with Depp's performance is it's all artifice. It's too theatrical. Yeah, it's too it's theatrical. Act and he knows he's putting on that. Whereas has, Gene Wallace, Willie Wonka, it's his person. It's yeah. his nature. It's who he is. I mean, compare yeah. Depp's performance in Charlie to his performance in Sweeney Todd. Right. Where I bought into him. Oh, yeah. As Benjamin Barker. Oh, yeah. That was a film where he was bringing his A-game. I'm going to tell you this scene that always sends chills down my spine mm-hmm. is when he finally regains his set of knives and then he sings that song where he's talking about now. My he, friend. Arm, yeah, and he talked about now his arm is complete. That's that the last line. Oh, which you'll notice was the line I highlighted in my 10 statements when, about when, the film. When he gets to that line, he, he extends, sitting there. He extends yeah. his arm and goes, at last, 
My arm is complete again. Now you know shit is about to get real. <laughs> in fact, he's such a force yeah. in that film that I almost don't buy into Mrs. Lovett mm. going along with it for so long. Interesting. Because it is so obvious, watching from the outside, right. that he doesn't give two shits about her. There's only one thing he gives any care about. Killing the judge okay. and taking his daughter home. But she doesn't give a shit about him either. All she cares about is making money. No, I think she does. She has that sexual obsession with Oh, him. and then she has that song that yeah. she sings when they go to the seashore. Yeah. He's like sitting oh, there like, like you know, he's sitting there like, what the? I didn't notice that until watching it this time. Yeah. That he is in his own world throughout he, that entire he, musical number. She's telling him about this wonderful life they're going to have. They're going to have, they're going to go and see if she's going to cook for him and clean his clothes. He's he totally there. closed off to her because he's obsessing over, I want Alan Rickman's throat under my hands. Because I want to kill him. Because there's nothing else in his life. Just the revenge on getting his daughter back. Now what he does after that, we don't know. Is he going to have a life after that? Because that's the bad thing about living for revenge. Yeah. Once you have... Well, he dies at the end of the film. Oh, yeah. Because, well, there's nothing left for the poor cat. But you're right on some level. And in a way, Mrs. Lovett is a more monstrous figure. Yeah. Because you can understand after what Judge Turpin put him through... Oh, sure. Who could... Why he wants revenge. Why he is as insane as he is. Mrs. Lovett is doing these horrible things... Just to make a buck. To make a... Exactly. Yeah. It's the capitalism for it's, her. Yeah, it is. As long as she's making money... Yeah. She's happy. Him, yeah, I can understand, yeah, you want to kill him all of a bunch. Matter of fact, shit, I'm going to get yeah, out of the exactly. way. Go ahead and get him. Yeah, get your daughter back, man. Yeah. Is it just me? Because I didn't watch it recently in yeah. preparation, which I should have. Whatever happened to the young lovers? They dropped in the middle. It's okay. funny. The last we see of either Anthony or Joanna is at the end. Joanna's, remember, hiding in the case when he finally kills Judge Turpin? Right. And he discovers him and he's about to kill her, but then he, he hears Mrs. Lovett screaming and he just sit in the chair, boy, mm-hmm. and goes down to take care of Mrs. Lovett. And that's the last we see of either of them. So oh, I have okay. to assume if I was Joanna after what I just witnessed, I would have run as if I had ten Red Bulls in me. I would have left London completely, yeah. yeah. We are kind of jumping ahead of ourselves, because before that was The Corpse Bride, the last to date of the Burton Selleck collaborations. Which actually, if you think about it, is pretty much a 19th century reworking of Beetlejuice. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, it is. Even The Nightmare Elm uh, The Nightmare Elm The Nightmare Before <laughs> Christmas... Which is supposed Tim Burton's A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, now that would be a, yeah, I'd love to see that. <laughs> Even though that's supposed to be considered this modern yeah. masterpiece. I really can't get all that worked up about it. I don't know why. I've seen it maybe like two or three times. I yeah. Thought, it's okay. But then again, well, once again I felt the oddly same. enough, the best thing about that film is the musical numbers. I love Remains of the Day, mm-hmm. for example. Danny El- which, God, that's painful for him now because he's so deaf. Mm-hmm. That's why he stopped playing with Oingo Boingo. He's now officially deaf. Oh, wow. Okay. But that, James and the Giant Nine Peach. Peach. Yeah, I feel the same way about Yeah, yeah it's okay, but I'm not going to go out of my way to see it if it's on TV. I would never buy the DVD because I know I'm not going to watch it. After... The Corpse Ride and after Sweeney Todd, he produced the film Nine, which is another stop-motion film. Right. Then came Alice in Wonderland. Nine? No, Nine wasn't stop-motion. It wasn't? No, that was computer-generated. Okay. That was a CGI. Yeah, that was... Oh, yeah, because I've seen Nine. Okay. Again, it's like James and Giant Peach and all those other... Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's okay, but... eh. So then we get to Alice in Wonderland, 2010. No... 
A mess of a film. It's a slog. It's beautiful to look at. Another one of these films that is supposedly a remake, but is actually a sequel. It's a sequel, right? Yeah. yeah. I know some people that went to see it, and they thought it mm-hmm. was going to be a straight adaptation of the original story. Yeah. And it's not. And that's something that I really think mm-hmm. that they should have made more. Because, of course, people see Alice in Wonderland. Right. They have expectation. They're going to go see Alice, Alice in Wonderland. Wonderland. Yeah. You really don't get that. This is a sequel to that, really. Yeah. Which I think they should have called it Return to Wonderland. Or something. But then, again, they probably said, we have the name, so let's use it. Right. I watched this, and first of all, Johnny Depp, yeah, his Mad Hatter, to me, well, wasn't it, that mad. His Mad Hatter is kind of inconsequential. Yeah. Considering all the attention he was given in the promotion of the film, mm-hmm. his main reason to be there is to give Crispin Glover's character the Knave of Hearts, isn't it? Yeah. Somebody to beat up. Right. Christopher Lee, again, yeah. we could keep going back to him. He was mm-hmm. the voice of the dragon. And again... Tim Burton yeah. dropped the ball in the last half hour of the movie where he tried to turn it into an action mm-hmm. film because that's when the two armies of the White and the Red Queen yeah. go to war. She has the chess pieces and she's got the plan. This is a beautiful movie to look at. I'm not going to deny that. But it's one of those movies. My nieces and nephews, they came over and they wanted to see it because they'd never yeah. seen it. I said, okay, pull it up on Netflix and blah, blah, blah. They watch it after a half hour. They say, Uncle Dirk, can we watch something else? I said, yeah. yes, thank you. But afterwards, I finished watching it myself mm-hmm. and I said, yeah. Because usually his bright colors and stuff like yeah. that, that'll keep him into it. Here's a mistake. That whole subplot where she's being married off because right. she's got to save the family fortune, that would interest kids. Kids yeah. don't care about that crap. I'm an adult now. Which was is it probably why the film failed, is, is that Disney wanted a kid's film, and Tim Burton right. wanted a film that kind of addressed the mores of that particular period of English life. Yeah, but this is Alice in Wonderland. We don't need a film about female empowerment, yeah. Tim. Go ahead and make a kid's film and get it over with. If you want to make a film about female empowerment, go make one. But if you're making a kid's film, that's when my nieces mm-hmm. and nephew they tuned out. They didn't want, well, where's the white rabbit? Where's all the caterpillars? Where's yeah. the shetra? Where's all that? And they didn't get it, and yeah, I wasn't getting it either, because that's what I want to see, too. Right. So, yeah, I can see why that movie. Not to say it's not worth watching, mm-hmm. but you put it on on a slow Sunday afternoon when you got nothing right. else to do, and you can have fun with that. So presently, we are awaiting, and the reason why we finally hauled his ass here, for the release of Dark Shadows, which supposedly <laughs> is a project he did not originate. It was a project Johnny Depp originated. Yeah. Depp had bought the rights to the gothic soap opera. Mm-hmm. Could not find anyone interested until he went to his old buddy, Tim, and said, Tim, could you do this for me? And I have no idea, wait, I'm going to attribute this more to Depp than... Mr. It Burton. makes me scared that the other thing that he bought from Dan Curtis, mm-hmm. Kolchak the Night Stalker. Kolchak the Night Stalker. Yeah, well, I've heard Johnny Depp is supposed to be playing that, too. What is he yeah. going to play? He's going to play everything. He's going to be doing Tonto. Long and you know he's going to be playing Gomez. In the Adams Family. The Adams Family animated thing that Burton is doing. Mm-hmm. That's doing on his anim- plate. Oh, they're doing yeah. animated? There, okay, well, we'll talk about what's on his plate after we finish talking about Dark Shadows. This thing looks like a mess. I attribute to it being a comedy more to Johnny Depp than Tim Burton because mm-hmm. I can see where this could have been a full-blown horror movie easily to match Sleepy Hollow right. or Sweeney Todd. And why are you going to go out and you're going to make it a comedy? I have no idea why they would want to do that. I don't know. Because once again, the only people that you're going to get, you're mm-hmm. going to get the fans of Johnny Depp who like seeing him 
And Johnny Depp, by the way, is turning into Christopher Walken. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else has noticed this. Judging from what little we've seen, which admittedly are just a bunch of TV spots yes. and trailers, mm-hmm. it looks like this is another one of these Johnny Depp performances that is Johnny Depp putting on a lot of artifice. Yeah. It's so weird looking. It's totally nonsensical. I don't know if the idea was to do this as sort of a satire of the Twilight. Yeah. Or what, but the... TV spots make no sense to me. It's funny, because like in Alcatraz, we talked about Alcatraz in a previous episode, mm-hmm. and one of the things that they mention is that, in fact, one of the returners states, it's not that difficult to grasp TV and grasp this. What's difficult to grasp is that your family is no longer around, okay. or your family is really seriously changed. The scene of him tearing up a TV set looking for Debbie Boone, or trying to pack himself up in a box... What is this appealing to? People like me who grew up watching Dark Shadows. I have fond memories of sitting at the kitchen table watching Dark Shadows with my mother while she was making dinner. And recently I have been watching it on Netflix because they've had the first hundred episodes streaming on Netflix. And I've been reliving, oh wow, this was a lot of fun. You could have made a serious thing out of this, but for old time fans like me, well, I'm not going to go see this because this isn't what I want to go see. The only people that you're going to get, admittedly, which is a large fan base, is you're going to get the fans of Johnny Depp and Tim Burton. Johnny Depp, nowadays, I would think he's the one star you have nowadays that is absolutely critic-proof. There's nothing Johnny Depp can do that anything he makes is not going to make money. And you comparing him to Christopher Walken kind of actually makes a lot of sense because just like Christopher Walken will do the small indie film that he really wants to do so he actually shows up for that one mm-hmm. and then will do the big blockbuster playing his parody Christopher Walken yeah. character. Let's call him Christopher with a K. Yeah. That character that's this exaggerated parody of who we perceive Christopher Walken as being. I think Johnny Depp goes and does these films that kind of interest him, like The Rum Diaries, where he's actually right, doing rum, right. a real performance, or Sweeney Todd, mm-hmm. where he's actually engaged in this interesting performance. And then he turns around and he does The Lone Ranger and Tonto, where he's doing Johnny, and we'll, we'll do it with a J-H, Johnny mm-hmm. Depp. Right. I really don't have a problem with that, because people say, oh, oh, why is he making this crap? But Johnny Depp realizes the reality, and especially now, because Mm -hmm. there is such pressure on movies to succeed. If you want to stay in this business, you have to make movies that make money, for good or for ill. Now, The Rum Diaries, I don't know how much money that made. I have no idea, folks. I haven't seen it. I still want to. I want to see it, yeah. The idea of him playing Hunter S. Thompson at a much earlier age. Yeah, before Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Now, after he's played the older one. Yeah, now he's playing the younger one, yeah. So I really want to see it. But he realizes the reality. Okay, now even if The Rum Diaries didn't make that much money, pretty much we can guarantee that Dark Shadows is going to hit somewhere, what, around 30, 40, 50 million opening weekend. As much as people hated it, Planet of the Apes made a profit. Yeah, it did. It made money. And people don't want to understand that, but that's the bottom line. I'm sorry. I don't care how much you want to talk about, oh, he's selling out because he's doing movies like Dark Shadows. But first of all, Johnny Depp has a career in a large part because of Tim Burton. Yeah. So he always owes them, and I respect that. See, you okay, know? let me just bring this fear up. By all means, my friend. Now, supposedly, when Johnny Depp bought these two properties from Dan Curtis Productions, he had no intention of starring in them. He wanted to just produce them. Okay. Nobody wanted a Dark Shadows film unless he was in it. In, in it. And the same thing apparently is reportedly going on with him with Kolchak. Nobody wants a Kolchak unless he's going to play Kolchak. My fear is that he's going to give it to Burton to direct as well. Okay. 
I don't want to see a Tim Burton Kolchak the Night Stalker. I don't want to see an overstylized version of one of my favorite shows, because that's the thing. The reason I break them up into 21st century films and 20th century films is that the 21st century films, with very rare exceptions, Big Fish, Sweeney Todd, seem to coast on their artifice. Okay. On the things that I think Tim Burton thinks people want from a Tim Burton film. Right. Swirly art designs mm-hmm. and wacky shots, dark at first, turning bright, all this really overly stylized, overly managed stuff. Okay. I can just see this being turned into a parody under him. If Dark Shadows makes money, and it is going to make money, yeah, that's what you're going to see. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, then they're going to pass and give it to somebody else. Hopefully somebody like Frank Darabont. Yeah. Who we'll could make it. a good Kolchak. Or David Toohey. David Toohey, David Fincher. David. I don't know if Fincher would be interested in doing a TV adaptation. I can see Tui doing it, or David Cap. David Cap, yeah. I can see Cap and Tui doing it as an exercise. I don't think I could see Fincher doing it. I don't know. I think my problem with the later stuff is that it's all smoke and mirrors now. With very rare exceptions. It's obvious that Burton cared about Sweeney Todd. Well, that's the last great the last Burton, great that's the last Burton great film, Burton film yeah. we have to Which date. nobody saw. Yeah, oddly enough, nobody saw in the theaters. That one was a bit of a failure. And I'm wondering if he needs to get away from that. Because you'll notice also, every film he's done since... See, this is the problem with building an audience. And see, I keep coming back to this. I know that you said he's got to get away from what he's... Yeah, but if you get away from it, then the audience that you have built up, especially now, movie audiences are really hard. And they're not willing to follow a director if he gets... Well, we don't want to see that. Look at Big Fish. How many Tim Burton fans want to see that? What did I just say? The ones that went to see it said, what is this shit? I don't want to see this. I want to see the wacky characters. I want to see Edward Scissorhands Part 2. They don't want to see that. And people who didn't like Burton before, they said, well, I'm not going to go see that. But sometimes you need, with the exception of Helen the Bonacar, that was the last time he worked with a cast that was totally unfamiliar with him. Right. That was another reason why I love Big Fish, because it was all these people in there, Jessica Lange in the Tim right. Burton movie, Albert Finney, you know, all these people that you never expect. Steve, Steve Buscemi. Buscemi. Yeah, all these people that you never Spectre seen. is really swell. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> that you never saw in yeah. a Tim Burton movie before was in this. That was the reason why I liked it. I and said, ever okay. since, it's been Depp Carter. Carter. Depp Carter. Carter. Depp Carter. Depp Carter. An artist, and a director is an artist, can be revivified by something as simple as working with somebody new. Oh, sure. Even if he does a project like Look this. Look at Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Martin Scorsese, he's got a whole new career right. working with Leonardo DiCaprio mm-hmm. when he made those movies with him. Okay, let's say he does do this Adam's Family, 3D animated film. There are three films that are kind of mentioned on the docket as being maybe his next project. A film called Maleficent, which is supposedly a quote-unquote biography of the Evil Queen from Sleeping Beauty. Okay. This 3D adaptation of The Addams Family and an adaptation of Monster Apocalypse. If instead of going Depp Carter, mm-hmm. as he always goes, The Addams Family is probably the most commercial of those three projects. There is actually some name brand recognition to The Addams Family. Okay. So if he goes with a different actor and a different actress, maybe it'll bring something out of him. But you got to remember something else, too, is that Johnny Depp has proven that he can step away from Tim Burton and make money at other projects. Burton hasn't proven that yeah. yet. You've got to keep that in mind, too, which is why he keeps going back to Johnny to listen, can you come do this movie for me? Because he knows that that's a guaranteed moneymaker. But Johnny Depp, he does Pirates of the Caribbean. He does Rum Dye. He does this. That. He goes off and does anything right. he wants, and he still makes money anyway. Do you think he feels trapped? 
in like I have to use my best friend. It's a safety net. He knows without a doubt that having Johnny Depp is going to guarantee. If you put Johnny Depp in anything, right. you're going to be guaranteed you're going to get people to come see it. And like you said, Big Fish probably threw a big scare into him because he said, oh, well, shit, I tried to step out of it. Especially really- when you figure this is one of these films, the last time he really kind of poured his heart out was Edward Scissorhands. The last time where it was a really, really, really personal thing for him. Because mm-hmm. Edward Scissorhands, a lot of people speculate that Edward Scissorhands is kind of a metaphor for his childhood. First time he pours his heart out, mm-hmm. it's a fairly big success. It makes right. money. The second time he pours his heart out, which is Big Fish... Everybody turns their back on him. Well, that's because you got the space of about, what, 20 years yeah, between? Well, and was just saying, it was a different time then, John. Yeah. 1992, it's actually about 13 years. Okay, 13, 13 years. 13 years. Oh, okay. You got 13 years between Edward Scissorhands and okay, Big, Big Fish. Fish. Okay. We're talking about when people were a little bit more forgiving, I think. Mm-hmm. Once you start talking about 70s, 80s, and even part of the 90s when this one was made... People were a little bit more forgiving. People are awfully hard on movies now. Maybe he might benefit from going to another medium for a little bit. I'm sure if Tim Burton went to, maybe not HBO, but let's say went to Stars, Okay. And said, I want to do a six-episode miniseries for you. Okay. Do you think Stars would say, hell no? No. Or FX, or Showtime, no. or a well, no, let's forget about A&E. I want to do a six-episode miniseries which adapts Varney the Vampire. Okay, can you do it without the vampires? Yeah, we can do it without the vampires. <laughs> and it would be six episodes before we even saw what vampires Yeah, exactly. And he loves these slow-moving dramas that take forever to get anywhere. We can sit here speculating to who laid the rails about what yeah. he should do, but the fact of the matter is, is that is that what he wants to do. And apparently yeah. he does it. He wants to keep making feature motion pictures. And like he probably going to be like most people. He's going to keep on making them until he has no choice but to do that. Until he gets marched over to director's jail. There you go. He's still a viable... Let me me throw this out. Given the response the public seems to have to the Dark Shadows trailer and the Dark Shadows TV spots, they're almost uniformly negative. Is it already time? Has he already reached his sell-by date? No, because I'm telling you. And remember, folks, you heard it here first. Dark Shadows is going to make money. Dark Shadows is going to be the number one movie that weekend it opens. And let's face it, that's all the movie studio cares about. Was it number one opening weekend? Bam, okay, we got to get, we're good. And they're going to call up Tim Burton and say, thank you, Tim, baby, we did it again. And he's going to put down the phone and he's going to breathe a sigh. Okay, let me just go over to Fandango for a second. I want to know what's opening that same weekend. You're going to say, okay, I'm safe. (laughs) I'm curious about what is going to be opening around it. It doesn't matter. Maybe it does. No, it doesn't. Maybe it does. I'm telling you right now, it's going to be number one. Okay, it's taking And you know who they're not going to blame? They're not going to blame Tim Burton. They're going to blame Johnny Depp. You brought this on yourself, sir. Mm -hmm. They're going to blame him. So Tim Burton is still going to be safe. It's not like this is a movie that is trumpeted as a Tim Burton film, like Big Fish was. Tim Burton's name was above the title, a Tim Burton film, Big Fish. Now, playing coming soon. Okay, it doesn't say what's coming, when it's coming soon. Depending upon what it opens up opposite. It doesn't matter. I think it does. (laughs) We will go home, we will do our research. Right. And we will find out. You were telling me, and this is just theoretical, obviously, I know this isn't going to happen, that if Dark Shadows opened the same weekend as Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2, that it wouldn't be third or fourth place in that race. First of all, that's not going to happen. 
I'm not saying it's going to happen. Oh, saying, which I just say theoretically. As an example. For the as sake an of example, argument. yeah. For the sake of argument, they open up the same day, same Or if they open up opposite Dark Knight's Rises. Oh, Dark Knight's going to crush it. That's what I'm saying. Okay, yeah. You can't say unequivocally it's going to make money. You're absolutely right. Let me amend my statement. It all depends on what it's up against that opening right. weekend. However, let me say this. There is nobody in Hollywood in his right mind that is going to schedule their movie. I don't even care if it is The Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. They're not going to schedule it to go head-to-head with a Johnny Depp movie. Right. It doesn't matter about Tim Burton. In this respect, they're just looking at Johnny Depp. Right. It's a Johnny Depp movie. And if you're a guy, if you're in your 20s, and mm-hmm. you're going out Friday night, and you go to your girlfriend, and you say, well, let's go see The Dark Knight, she's going to say, bullshit on that. I want to see Johnny yeah. Depp. Me and you, of course, we don't care. We're going to Even Johnny if Depp. Johnny Depp looks like a freak in this film. It doesn't matter. It's Johnny Depp. And playing the vampire, too. The reality of it is that no studio is going to schedule any of their big tentpole movies up against the Johnny Depp movie. That's just not going to happen. Now, they may schedule it the week after. It depends on what's scheduled the week before or the week after, especially the week after, because that's what's going to mm-hmm. tell the story. Because if it, it is something like A Dark Knight, of course, everybody's going to go see. As a matter of fact, that's going to work in his favor. Everybody's going to go see Johnny Depp that week. Because they know that this is going to come out next week right. and they want to see that. Therefore, okay. they're still going to give it its opening weekend anyway, mm-hmm. which is what the studio cares about. So it sounds like you're going not guilty on this. Yes, I am. I am going not guilty. And I'm going not guilty because of a lot of reasons that I've made. First of all, because Tim Burton is a director with a singular, unique vision. And I think that you treasure that type of director just as much as I do. And I'm willing to give him a couple of flops. I'd rather have a movie industry with a Tim Burton in it. Even though he stumbles and falls every once in a while. But I'd rather have a movie industry with a Tim Burton in it and working than one without. However, I would counter. Yes. That. fellow judge. His singular vision. Yes. Has become a crutch. I formed this from watching a film late in his cycle and early in his cycle. Back to back. Whereas with Beetlejuice, there were still those weird angles and the the strange devices and all the the usual tropes we come to expect from a Tim Burton film. There was a certain feeling towards them that they were part of a greater story. Whereas when you look at Charlie and you look at Alice, it's like those are the story. That he's using these in lieu of having anything interesting to say about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or about Lewis Carroll's creations or about Dan Curtis in the 70s. Let me propose a verdict to you, my fellow judge, that I think will satisfy both of our sensibilities. Guilty... Mm-hmm. However, yes. time serve All right. and probation for the next three movies. Okay. You happy with that? I'm you can live with, with that? that? I'm fine with that. Okay, I can live with that too. My recommendation to him, mm-hmm. if I can say, because I'm a little Absolutely. That, yes, you, you are. I think that there's been enough space between Big Fish and now that he should maybe try another film without his stock cast. Do something, because even with your stock cast, when you just did something that wasn't tropey, when you did Sweeney Todd, and that wasn't candy canes and swirlies, and you produced one of your strongest films of the 21st century phase of your career. Okay. You should try to do that again. And maybe do this with characters. Or, like with Alice, take your two crutches, take your Johnny Depp and your common-law wife, Helen mm. Bobana Carter, and put them in minor roles so other people you can be focused and if on. And other people are made to roles. Yeah. Okay, I'll go, yo, I agree. A change is as good as a rest. Yeah. I, more than anything, it's that sense of it being just by rote mm-hmm. is coming from this fact that he's afraid to be personal again. Well, yeah. That's understandable. Because who wants to put their heart out there and have it stepped on? I don't 
don't blame him for that. Yeah, and, and maybe he really should consider doing something for a cable network where you would get less interference and it might recharge things. Listen, I agree with you 100% mm-hmm. because I despair and I don't yeah. want people to take away that I'm endorsing Dark Shadows or thinking it's going to be a wonderful movie. I mean, me personally, I don't plan on seeing it because that's not the Dark Shadows movie I want to see. I will probably see it on DVD later on or Netflix, but I'm not going to pay to see it because that's what I vote with, my dollars. Mm -hmm. But I despair that if it is a big hit, that we're going to see more of this instead of Tim Burton going on upward growth. As a director, which, as you so accurately point out, a change may revitalize those creative juices that he needs and he get back to what he needs. Even with missteps like Mars Attacks, there's a definite arc of growth in the 20th century film. Yeah, the good thing about a misstep is that sometimes we learn from it. Yeah. We need those missteps to learn mm-hmm. and grow and say, okay, well, next time I'm going to do this and I'm yeah. not going to do this. So yeah, maybe he does need to And, and keep in mind that the great misstep of Mars Attacks brought us Sleepy Hollow. If I had my druthers, that's what I would want to see Tim Burton do again. Right. Another all-out horror film. Yeah, but we got another stumbling block, Tom. Sleepy Hollow was rated R. They don't want R-rated horror movies anymore. Mm-hmm. They want PG-13 horror movies. Is Tim Burton going to do a PG-13 horror movie? Not that I'm saying he couldn't do it. Right, I no, pretty, he, could. I mean, he could do it. But what he wanted to do it. Matter of fact, I wouldn't want him to do a PG-13 mm-hmm. horror movie. How? Why doesn't he get in touch with the people at Hammer? I have no idea. No, let's face it. These people have the legacy of something he holds very dear to his heart. Oh, I agree with you 100%. I think that would be a really fruitful collaboration if they got together. Burton decided to do a film for the new Hammer. That might be something. Get together with them, make a bunch of low-budget, yeah. straight DVD, 90-minute feature, down-and-dirty filmmaking, right. guerrilla filmmaking, okay, we're going to shoot this sucker in 60 days. Right. Come hell or high water. Give me a budget of five eight million dollars And bam! Yeah. And bust it out like that. Get back that... Exactly. You know, stop playing with the big CGI set pieces. Give it, yeah, I go along with you 100%. Totally different cast, 60-day shooting schedule, five $8 million budget. I guarantee you that'll revive. Because that's what with Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg said that, you know, after the glut that he went through with Close Encounters yeah. and Jaws and all yeah. that, which had that ridiculous year-long shooting schedule, mm-hmm. when he did Raiders of the Lost, that revitalized his right. thing because that was the first movie he made where he stayed on schedule. Yeah. Matter of fact, he brought it in ahead of schedule, I believe. Sometimes that's what you got to do. So we uh, agreed on the yes. sentence. I accept your we, sentence suggestion. So Tim Burton, we pronounce you guilty, guilty mm-hmm. of falling back on your same old tropes and yeah. overusing your stock company of characters and relying too much on your little quirky doohickeys. However, your sentence is commuted to have been served, mm-hmm. but we are putting you on, on probation you for the watch, next three movies. I'm going to sentence him to having to watch Mars Attacks. For a 24 hour yeah. period. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, there, that's a, that is definitely a, a fitting punishment. There is a punishment there. Okay. okay, so. Court is adjourned. Court is adjourned. So it's time for the administrative. Whether you love us, whether you hate us, whether you want to say that you understood Mars Attacks perfectly fine and it was a wonderful picture, there's a number of ways that you can. In which case, I got my doubts about you. <laughs> I think your head needs to be put on a chihuahua. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a number of ways you can reach us. You can give us an email at betterinthedark at earth-2.net. You can go on our message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. It's very lonely, people. It needs your attention. You can join our Facebook page. Go to Facebook, type in Better in the Dark, and we'll add you, and you can pull up a chair. Very, very, very active little place. 
for some reason, a home for prime cosplay oh, photos. Yeah. For some reason. I don't know why. Derek started that. I don't know why either. It just Somebody else had put up a cosplay okay. picture. Somebody had put up something. I forget what yeah. it was. But then I put up the Power Girl picture. Then all of a sudden, I noticed it got a lot of yeah. <laughs> notice for obvious reasons. Because the young lady that was in the picture, I said, wow, that's Power Girl. Yes. And ever since then, I've been putting up pictures of some pretty... I got Rosario Dawson something. Yes, hey. I saw. I saw. And who is it? Sean? One of our favorites. Yeah, Sean followed with your girl, Gabriel Union. Yeah. I haven't put anybody up there today. You didn't put anybody? Yesterday, I put up that Donna Troy Psylocke. She's too skinny. For Donna Troy, don't you think? If you look at the George Perez drawings, she's not a busty girl. I consider the George Perez design of Donna Troy to be the definitive. And she's got a gymnast body. She's not busty. That's Starfire. Oh, yeah. Starfire's got is the busty mm, one, and yeah. Raven's the really modest one. She's the underdeveloped one. She's a little girlish girl. I always figured Raven looked like a 12-year-old boy mm-hmm. with all the clothes. Because <laughs> if you ever look, George Perez draws yeah. her with very sunken cheekbones yeah. as if she doesn't eat properly. See, that's why I like George Perez, though, is that if you look at a drawing of... The Teen Titans side by side. Each character has their own body type. That's why George Perez can draw 100 superheroes in one picture, and they Mm -hmm. all look different. They all have different body types. I love Mm -hmm. how he draws Neymar, because Neymar has a swimmer's body. He draws Captain America and Hawkeye side by side, and even though they are similar, but you can tell different, because... Hawkeye, because he's drawing that bow all the time. He's got like a his big... arms and shoulders are thicker than Captain America's. Yeah. It's different. Captain America, since he's more of a gymnast, he's muscular, but he's got a slimmer right. body than you would think for somebody who's supposed to be as strong as he is. But his strength doesn't entirely depend on right. his muscular. It's the super soldier serum. So that's superhero anatomy yes. 101. <laughs> also, we should mention that both Derek and myself have Facebook pages of our own. Yeah, sure. our names. It's not hard to find. Derek maintains a blog of movie reviews. <laughs> Called the Ferguson Theater. While Thomas is called Damn Your Ears, Damn Your Eyes. Ten statements about uh, dot dot dot. Also, Derek maintains a blog about his writing called Blood, Blood and, and Ink. Ink. Yeah. I got it right this time. You got it right this time, yeah. And, of course, there is a blog devoted to his adventurer, Dylan. And Thomas, for his part, has a new blog that he has started that is dedicated to his upcoming book from Airship 27, the New Roads Le- to Hell. New Roads to Hell. Shadow Legion, dot, dot, New Roads to, to Hell. Hell. And he has a blog that is all about the background of that world, the what, city what, of Nocturne. This, uh, What's it called? The Nocturne Travel the Agency, Nocturne Traveler which can be found at welcometonocturne.blogspot.com. But it's not just that. It's, it's the whole Chimera Falls universe. Right. So definitely check that out. Come on. Come on. Sweeney's waiting. I want you bleeders. Oh. Wow. That was weird. Uh, hey, gang. Uh, it's Tom DJ here. Now, here's where you would usually hear Derek and I pimping our usual coachier of uh, publishing houses that have been kind enough to provide a home for our writings. Pro Se Press, Pulpworks Press, good old Airship 27. But apparently Tim Byrne wasn't happy with our verdict and leveled a little Sweeney Todd-esque vengeance on us by cutting off the last few minutes. So let's just go right into the the outro and uh, hopefully forget this ever happened, all right? Oh, and since I know you guys are really, really, really dying to hear this, go see that movie. Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. 
I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague, and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas, DJ, and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to John and Andy of the Hollywood Saloon. Rest in peace, boys. Maurice of Love That Album, Adam of Instant Deaths, Eric Frome, and the members of the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Better in the Dark would never sew your head onto a chihuahua's body, because the one time it tried, the results were, uh, messy. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters, and pipe bombs to Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. That's Better in the Dark at Earth-2.net. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley, and why not leave a review of us on iTunes? Hey, maybe you can even visit the Better in the Dark Central site at www.betterinthedarksite.com. And don't forget to check out all the amazing music available at www.beehyphen.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright, Thomas E. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that if Willy Wonka is a crazy serial killer who genetically engineered the Oompa Loompas, chances are his factory is England's version of the cabin in the woods. I go with you to the factory. I won't ever see my family again. Yeah. Consider that a bonus. <laughs>